The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 65 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two half-hour episodes of radio's greatest series of high adventure, Escape. We'll begin after this short break. Escape was radio's leading anthology series of high adventure, airing on CBS from 1947 until 1954. The series' well-remembered opening, as intoned sometimes by Paul Fries and other times by William Conrad was, Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Following the opening theme, a second announcer, usually Roy Rowan, would add, escape designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Many story premises, both originals and adaptations, involved a protagonist in dire life or death straits. Actors on the series included the West Coast's best supporting actors and occasionally featured a movie star in the lead role. Time now for the first of two adventure episodes of Escape. This is the classic story by H. Ryder Haggard of a supernatural white queen who is the ruler of Kor, a lost African city. Here's She, starring Ben Wright on Escape from July 11, 1948. Head up with the everyday grind. Tired out from the summer heat. Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are deep in a fabulous mountain cavern, surrounded by a horde of menacing natives from the lost civilization, held at the mercy of the most beautiful woman in the world, the terrible queen called She. <laughs> Tonight, we escape to uncharted Africa and to an incredible adventure, as H. Ryder Haggard described it in his fantastic story, She. In those days, I was a professor of archaeology at Oxford. And though this may account for my being able to understand some of those strange events which occurred later... It was in no respect the reason for my becoming involved in them. No, the real reason was unbelievably simple. I walked through the caves of the dead in the terrible and ancient city of Kor, crossed the awful abyss and looked upon the flame of life, only because 
I was one of the ugliest men in England. Because of my appearance, I had made few acquaintances and only two close friends. Roger Vincey first, and following his death, his son, Leo, whom he left behind. And it was that friendship which brought Leo Vincey to my chambers off the quadrangle. Late in the evening of the day, he became 25 years old. Today was the first I knew of it, Harley, when the attorneys called me in. Yes. They said Father instructed them the week before he died to give me the letter and this little bronze chest on my 25th birthday. Strange. I mean, chest. Designs on the lid show Egyptian influence. It must be very old. Well, according to Father's letter, it contains something over 2,000 years old. Really? (laughs) Must have considered it rather important. He's closed the cover with a lead seal. Yes, so I see. At any rate, Holly, the letter doesn't tell us much. Suppose we, uh, suppose we see what's inside. <laughs> All right. I have a geology hammer here somewhere, my boy. Oh, here we are. And a chisel. Now you hold it in place on the table here. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Ah, right. huh? there, it's pulling loose. Yes. Ah, I did it. Well. <laughs> Here goes. What the devil is that? Why, it's a clay tile. An old Egyptian writing tablet. Yes. It's the kind used about the time of Nectanabes, around 340 B.C. But the writing on it, it's not Egyptian. It's Greek. Yes. And parts of it are broken away. Oh, it'll take some time to translate this, Leo. My father apparently did it, Holly. According to this paper. Listen, here's his translation. Read it. I am Anartes, wife of Callicrates, say this to you, my son. Forced to escape the wrath of the great Nectanabes. Uh-huh. I thought so. Your father and I fled southward across the waters and wandered for twice twelve moons upon the coast of Libya. Well, that's that... the old name for Africa, you know. Ah, that faces the rising sun. There by the mouth of a river where stands facing the sea a great mountain carved like the head of an Ethiopian. What is it? Ah. Uh, uh, nothing, Holly. Huh? It, it, it goes on. Right. Uh, following the river, we soon fell among... There's a row of asterisks That here. must be one of the places where the tile's broken. Go yes. on, my boy. Uh, to a hollow mountain where a great city once stood, and to the terrible caves of which no man had seen the end, and and to she who must be obeyed. She who must be... What's wrong, Leo? I don't know, Holly. There's something familiar about that name, but I've never heard it before. Strange. Well, well, come on, get on with it. She who must be obeyed, who did lead us by awesome ways to the place where the great pit is, whose voice is like thunder. And she did show to us the rolling pillar of life and did stand in the flames. And she spake unto my, and there's a large fragment missing here. Oh, there isn't very much more. Picks up, uh, carried far away on the ships where I gave birth to thee, and came hither to Athens at last. Mm-hmm. So I say to thee, by these things which I have told, Seek out this place, nor stay thy will until thou hast the secret of life for thyself. Sit then on the throne with the Pharaoh. And that's all, Holly. Now, what's it all about? Leo, if your father knew, he kept it to himself. I don't know. It's all very strange. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll know as soon as we reach the place. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. If you decided not to... I think I should have had a try at finding it alone. Oh, I can't do anything else, Holly. It's, it's more than curiosity. It's almost a compulsion. There's such a familiar feeling about all this. 
Even that mountain, Holly, shaped like the head of an Ethiopian. Yes, what about it? Well, off and on, ever since I was a kid, I've dreamed about a mountain like that. But why, Holly? Why should I? That was the beginning. And some three months later, we drifted down the east coast of Africa, south of Zanzibar, searching the miles of jungle shores for the mountain carved like a head. There were four of us in the tiny sailing dhow, Leo and I, of course, along with Abdullah, the Arab boatman we'd hired in Arden, and finally a solid North countryman named Job, my servant for many years. We'd caught no sight of our landmarkers yet, but a native had told us of seeing it once years before, somewhere to the south. So our hopes held high, and we were confident luck was with us. And so it was, until one evening, just at dark. That's a pretty stiff wind, Holly. Yes. You think Abdullah knows what he's doing? We're rather close inshore, all right, Leo. I doubt if there's any danger, unless a squall hits. Hey, by gosh, we're strangers here in an heathen land and all. Anything could happen. It could, Joe, but let's assume that it won't. Uh-huh. Huh? How's the dory making out back there? Oh, trailing along all right behind us. Be in a bad spot if we lost it. We are guns, food, equipment, and everything in it. Yes, I know, Joe. Leo, perhaps we shouldn't have packed the stuff that way, Leo. I should have kept it on board with no, us. No, no, Holly. We want to be ready to shove off up the river as soon as we sight that head. It would be a tough job loading that boat at sea. Uh, we may not have had to, Leo. We've certainly found no reason to so far. But we will. I've dreamed ah, of it. Ah, huh? Hey, Master Holly, look! It's the wind, The wind's Holly. driving the water ahead of it. Abdullah! Lay under that tiller and head her into it. I'll give him a hand, Holly. Come right. the sail loose. Yeah, we've got a chance, sir. Hold on to the mast, Joe. We shall all be down. Leo! The great wave plunged over us, tore away the dory, swamped the dow beneath our feet, and hurled us headlong into the foaming sea. Half smothered, fighting to stay afloat, borne shoreward by the driver of the tempest, we were tossed at last, one by one, up onto the rain-swept beach. A calm dawn found us huddled together on the sand at the fringe of a dark and forbidding jungle. At the south lay the mouth of a small river, and to the north... The beach ended at the slope of a rocky headland. Leo and Job went to look at the wrecked dory, lying at the water's edge a hundred yards away. While I searched the shoreline for some sign of our boatman, I found none, and we never saw Abdullah again. Oh, Holly. Find any, any trace of him, Holly? No sign, Leo. The trade is gone for good. Oh, it's too bad. What shapes the dory in, Job? Wrecked. Not a chance of fixing it. But the equipment seems to be all right, sir. Oh, good. It's all there, Yes, it? most of it. The lashings held and the waterproof cases stood up very well. Only trouble is, we're afoot. Yes, we're going to have a lot of trouble following the coastline. We won't follow any coastline, Holly. What? We're going up that river. We're... Take a look at that headland there to the north. It yeah? shows up better from the wreck, Holly, but with the sun coming up now, you can see it from here, too. Oh, I goom it shaped like a human head. That's it! That's the landmark! Right, Holly. Then that's the river Colocrates followed with his wife, the same one we're going to follow. Oh, but Leo, with the boat gone, we shall have to break trail through that jungle and follow that riverbank. Yes, we'd better get started. Uh, look, oh. look, gentlemen, why can't we just stay here and try to signal oh, some oh. ship? Oh, there's oh, not Joe. much chance of it, Job. They stay pretty clear of this coast. But anyway, this is what we've been looking for. I don't really know what we are looking for, Leo. It's been more than 2,000 years since Colocrates went up that river. And things must have changed a great deal by now. Holly, Holly, that carved head up there in the mountain... 
It looks exactly the way it always did when I dreamed about it. It's incredible. I've got a strange feeling that whatever Colocrates and his wife found back there in the jungle will still be waiting there today. For five hot, steaming days, we pushed inland through the jungle, following the banks of the muddy river. Mile by mile, the creeping undergrowth became more dense. The river shallowed and became sluggish, and the swamplands began to stretch out from the low banks. Foul pools and stagnate lagoons full of soft black mud covered over with a green scum made every step a hazard. Crocodiles slid away at our approach, and bright-colored snakes glided out from underfoot. Mile after mile, we forced our way through those evil swamps, each mile more difficult. And finally came the morning of the sixth day. Oh, I don't know, Holly. If it gets any worse, we'll never make it. Uh, excuse me, putting in, gentlemen. But yes, Joe. I say we should turn back. Oh, no, Joe. We've spent five days getting this far. It'd be a shame to waste it. It's just the way I feel. We'll keep on as long as we can. Oh, what, Leo? Oh, I don't know. I stumble over something in the mire. Here, take a look at it. It's a rock. Look. Yes. It's a square stone. It's been hand cut. There, there's another. It's a section of an old wall of some sort. Or of a dike. That's it, Holly. A long time ago, the river was held between stone dikes along here. Like a sort of canal. It's possible. That might account for the swampland. The dikes gradually fell to pieces, and the river spread out through the jungle. Of course. And, Holly, there could be only one reason for building them. So that boats or barges could come in from the ocean to some kind of a city. A city, gentlemen. Yes. Why don't we turn back while we That's can? It. A city. It had to be a long time ago. Centuries ago. It could still be there, Holly. This place has never been explored. Nobody would ever try to come through these swamps. So... It may include us if it keeps... Joe, what's the matter with you? He must be... Uh-oh. Look! Natives. Ah. Where the devil did they come from? I don't know. Ooh, strange-looking brutes. Look at those clothes they're wearing. Yes, I've never seen any quite like them. Except in... Hey, Gop! Hey, Biko! You recognize that dialect? No, it's a little like Arabic. I might try that. Zabul al Kaifa? Hey, Gop! Ni bokan ni vek! I've never heard anything like it before. You seem to want us to come along with them, Holly. Yes, you think we'd better chance it? Well, they outnumber us 30 to 1, Leo. Yes, and they're all carrying those stabbing knives. Well. Barca Zedango. Hang on to your guns. They don't seem to know what they're for. Let's go. Our strange escort moved rapidly ahead, twisting and turning as they followed some well remembered trail of their own. We rested during the night on a hummock of dry ground and then struck out again at dawn. It was late afternoon when we left the swamp and climbed up a long slope to the foot of the rock-walled mountain. Reaching its base, we entered the mouth of a great cavern, and a short way inside, we led into a small side chamber, carved from the living rock and lighted by a reed wick floating in a jug of oil. And then the strange natives went away and left us, and we sat about on the floor, trying to plan some course of action.
<sighs> oh, dear. <sighs> How long do you suppose we've been here, Holly? Close to two hours, I'd say. Yeah. Must be dark outside by now. Holly, do you have any idea what race they belong to? They're not like any other natives in this part of Africa. Oh, I've seen people much like them in some of the villages in southern Egypt, Leo. But I don't know any more about it than that. They wear those odd tunics, too. Cotton or linen, I suppose. Those bronze headbands. Must have been out of contact with the rest of the world for centuries, Holly. Evens, that's what they are, and... Up to no good so far as we're concerned. That's you what may I be right, think. Joe, but I still want to find out about the other things Amenartes wrote on the tile. The city of Kaur and the pillar of fire and she who must be obeyed. We found the caves, at least. Well, I can't see anything so terrible about them. Perhaps we haven't seen everything the cave. Uh-huh. Oh. Ni Oh. Our little chum. He seems to want us to follow him. Mm. Well... Hang on to your guns. Right, you are. Stick close together. Don't let them separate us. All right, Job? Come, let's go. Our strange guide led us along the twisting, branching passageways, batting our way with a flaming torch that threw weird shadows on the walls of solid rock. Now and then we passed side chambers lined with long rows of stone slabs. And then I saw that each slab held the sheeted figure of a human body. I realized these caves were one vast crypt filled with the mummified bodies of some vanished race. Gradually, as we moved on, a most remarkable sound began to grow louder, made up of the guttural voices of a crowd, the throbbing of drums, and the moan of some strange musical instrument. Suddenly, the narrow passage opened out into a great hollowed cavern where natives danced and postured in the eerie glare from a hundred huge torches placed about the walls. I stared in amazement. The torches were flaming mummies tied upright to the posts, and the guide had lighted our way through the passages with a human arm. Nebok! Borg Jane! I... I think he means for us to walk toward that platform in the center. Yes. There's a pit of coals burning in the top of it. Nebok! Yes, come on. Watch it, Holly. I don't like the looks of this. All right. Keep your gun handy, Leo. Stay right with this, Job. Yes, they look Plus, anything but friendly. If anything starts, try to get on the platform. They've got no weapons except those stabbing knives, remember. Well, here we are. Now what? It's quite some fire they've got built up. Can't understand what they need <gasps> to do. Oh, Job, 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 look out, Holly. They've killed Job. The devil's back against the wall, Leo. Ah, Watch it. Here they come. All right, you... Step, Job, without a chance there. What are you left? Holly, let's try for the free... I'm Hagar! What the deuce is this? Old man in a long white robe. Hold your gun ready, Leo. We'll see what happens. Never, Andy. Angebo. <laughs> well, they're scared to death of him, whoever he is. Wait, he's coming our way. I presume you speak English, gentlemen? Yes, uh? but you do. Occasionally, natives from the south have come through the swamps, and we have captured them. I have learned many of the languages of the outside world. I am Bilali. Uh, um, uh, Leo Vinci, and, and this is Mr. Holly. I am most sorrowful for the death of your companion. Oh, yes. Poor Joe. My children had no excuse. They know the law. From now on, you will be allowed to complete freedom. 
No white man is ever to be eaten. Eaten? That is what would have been done to you. But rest assured, her law is just, and their punishment will be swift. Whose law? That of she who must be obeyed. Holly! This is it, Holly. We're still on the right trail. She has demanded your presence. I have come to take you to the place where she is. Tell me, Binali, who or what is this she who must be obeyed? A goddess? A queen? A white woman? I could not say, my son. I have never seen she. Come along. Again, through those tortuous passages, two of us now, with kindly old Bilali leading the way, until he left us alone at last in a large chamber hung with brilliant colored silks, fitted with soft divans and lighted by crystal lamps. We stood there several minutes, not speaking, wondering, when suddenly the curtains across the doorway parted and a most amazing figure stood before us. It was swathed in folds of filmy white draperies with soft, gauzy veils covering even the face and hands. I bid you welcome to the city of Kor, Callicrates and friend of Callicrates. I, uh, I, I, I'm not Callicrates. I, I'm Leo Vinci, and, and this is my friend, Mr. Holly. Leo Vinci. Vengeance. No matter, you will understand. Are you... I am she... We, you must forgive us if we find it difficult to understand this. What is all this, the, these caves, the natives? What is Kor? Kor is a great city that rose up and then died many thousand years ago. These are the caves of Kor. The city itself stands farther on, in a huge crater at the heart of the mountain. Are you a descendant of Kor? I came from another place far away, and Kor was dead long before I found it. The natives know me as a fearsome figure in white, and they obey me. They have never seen you? No, Holly. Not one of them has ever seen behind these veils. It's amazing to think that Callicrates must have been here in this same place over 2,000 years ago. 2,287 years ago. Callicrates died in this very chamber. You, you speak as though you saw it happen. I did see it happen. I killed him. But... You couldn't. That was over 2,000 years ago. Yes. And at that time, I had been here in Kor for more than 500 years. Impossible. How do you know? You haven't seen me. But then you claim to be immortal. Yes. As he could have been had he stepped with me into the flames of life. As you can be, my Callicrates, if you so choose. I am... I hope you'll forgive me, but I, I, I can't believe anything so fantastic. Is it proof you need? Proof that I once did an evil act in anger and paid for it by waiting alone through all these centuries? Proof that my waiting is ended now? Then look upon it behind this curtain. A mummy. A mummy like those out in the caves. But look at the face. Leo, uh, it's you. That's you lying there. That is the body of Callicrates, whom I loved, and whom I killed in anger when he refused to leave her and stay with me to become immortal. 
His wife, Amenertes, fled across the mountains and later gave birth to his son, your ancestor. Then, Leo, that clay tile has been handed down in your family for over 20 centuries. I have paid for my sin, and I have waited, knowing that someday my Calacrates would be born to me again, would come back to Kor and find me. It was as though I had to. I dreamed of that carved mountain before I'd ever seen it. And your name, she who must be obeyed. It struck some chord in my memory the first time I heard it. It is your heart that must be obeyed now, my beloved. The decision is yours whether to leave me once again now that you have found me. Or to walk with me into the pillar of life. To love me and to become immortal. Yes. I feel somehow that this is the ending of something I've been moving toward all my life. Leo! Oh, but, but it isn't possible. Immortality. And how can you love someone you've never seen? Then you shall see, my beloved. I've worn these veils for you, and for you I... Look. Oh. The soft veil slid off from her shoulders, and she stood revealed before us. The most beautiful woman the world has ever seen. Will you leave me now, my Calacrates, or come with me to the flame of life? I'll go with you anywhere. Anywhere. We talked the night away in that chamber, Leo and I fascinated by every word that fell from those lovely lips. She talked of the hidden knowledge of ancient lands sang softly of her thoughts in rhyme and spoke once again the words of long-dead poets forgotten by the world. She made us believe in her own immortality and in ours to come. And before dawn, with Holly with us, we followed her madly and joyously through the dim and dusty passage that led to the flame of life. We came to a great abyss, with a narrow ledge crossing over it like a rainbow rock. There Bilali waited, and we three went on alone. At the sight of the awful depths beneath us, Leo and I shuddered in spite of ourselves, and moved carefully, step by step. She never hesitated, but swayed along gaily before us like a feather borne on a breeze. Finally, we stood in a vast circular chamber, a great bubble in the earth's crust, whose walls were shining black basalt. Holly. Yes. I see there by the wall. Looks like the body of a man. An old philosopher, my beloved, oh. who came here many centuries ago. He sat and watched the flame and could not decide whether he should become immortal. Finally, he died. And you? Have you never regretted becoming immortal? I could not have waited for Calacrates, Holly, had I not been immortal. But you, Leo, perhaps you have doubts. Immortality will not even be long enough with you. Where is the flame? Listen. Even now it approaches. It advances and then retreats, a never-ending cycle of life. It has moved along its path through this cavern since the beginning of time. Holly, look! Do not fear it, beloved. See, this time I will step into the flame alone. And when it comes again, you may join me. It's like the fire of the sun and the dust of a million diamonds. 
As the great and terrible pillar of flame approached, she threw off her veils and opened her arms to it, and the eternal fire flowed over her. It passed and left her there, standing with her head bowed. You, I... Are you all right? It didn't harm you? No, my beloved. Can one find harm in the flame that created life itself? Do you believe that... What? That... What's wrong? Tell me what's wrong. The flame was... different somehow. Now that Callicrates has returned... The curse of everlasting life is lifted. Leo, she's aging, growing old. No, I... Oh, no. I do not... If I go, search for me. Search... Merciful heavens. Oh, no. No! Even as Leo's hands reached out to touch her, they closed on a dry heap of soft, gray, I knew now that neither of us would step into the flame, and I knew we would spend our lives searching through the world for she. I seemed to hear in my mind once again words she had spoken in those glorious hours the night before. I knew that Leo was hearing them too, and that neither of us, so long as we lived, could ever forget that lovely voice. Nay, not in Cor, but in whatever spot, in town or field, or by the insatiate sea, men brood on buried love, or unforgot, or break themselves on some divine decree, or would o'erleap the limits of their lot. There, in the tombs and deathless, dwelleth she. Escape, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, tonight brought you She by H. Ryder Haggard, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Featured in tonight's cast were Barry Kroger, Larry Dobkin, Kay Brinker, Ben Wright, and Wilms Herbert. Special music by Ivan Dittmars. Next week, you are clinging precariously to a diving, pitching longboat lashed by mountainous seas in the center of a hurricane. And at the helm, driving you on, is a man bent on revenge and willing to kill for it. Next week, we escape with F.R. Buckley's exciting story, Habit. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape.
This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Escape with She, starring Ben Wright from July 11, 1948. Also in the cast, Barry Kroger, Kay Brinker, Lawrence Dobkin, and Wilms Herbert with William Conrad as the voice of Escape, heard over CBS. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio shows for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another adventure episode of Escape after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, a poet gets entangled with an assortment of strange characters who live inside a New York department store. Here's Evening Primrose on Escape, starring William Conrad from September 12, 1948. Fed up with the everyday grind? Tired out from the summer heat? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are groping through the midnight dimness of a gigantic department store. And suddenly you realize that a hundred eyes are staring at you from the shadows. And a hundred hands are reaching for your throat. And your most urgent desire is to escape. Tonight, we escape to a fantastic world of night dwellers. As John Collier imagines it in his eerie story, Evening Primrose. scared me to death. What do you mean coming in so quiet? Oh, I don't mean to scare you. I thought you'd be asleep. I didn't want to wake you. Oh, Sam, I'm so glad you're home. Hey, what's the matter? Oh, it's terrible. You got to do something, Sam. What's terrible? It's this. Just look at this. What's terrible about that? Looks like an ordinary pad of paper to me. Yeah, that's just it. That's just what I thought. But it's got writing in it. Oh, it's awful. Now, now wait a minute. Maybe you better tell me what this is all about. Well, today I went shopping at Bracey's department store. Yeah? I needed some writing paper, so I picked this up. It was on top of the pile. So I bought it, and I brought it home. But tonight, when I opened it, I... 
I thought it's got writing in it. Well, that's nothing so terrible. Just take it back tomorrow and make him give you a new one. Nah, you don't understand. It's what's written in it that's so terrible. What do you mean, what's written in it? Here, you got to read it. Ah, oh, Sadie. Now, right I... now, now read it. Look, Sadie, I'm tired. I've been bawling all please, evening. Please, Sam, please, just read it. But for Pete's sake... Sam. Oh, all right. October 13th. Today, I made my decision. I decided to say goodbye to the world. To get out, leave, break away. And I have done it. Ah, Sadie, Go this... Go on, read. And now I am free. Really free. Yes, I am free at last. Yes, I am free at last. The world is an intolerable place for a poet. I was broke, starving at my wit's end. And then I had the brilliant idea. I'd escape to a place where I'd had no need to earn a living, where I could write to my heart's content in peace and security. And where is this place? Right under your nose, so close you'd never think of it. I am now living in Bracey's department store. I have everything within arm's reach that anyone would need or desire. And it's all free. Absolutely free. I arrived this afternoon. I'd spent three days looking over all the department stores in town. I decided on Bracey's because of the completeness of their food department. Therefore, this afternoon, I entered the store and went immediately to the fourth floor, to the rug department, and hid myself in this dusty, out-of-the-way corner behind a pile of carpets. Once I'm settled, I'll furnish it with the best of modern pieces from the furniture department. It's small, but it'll be cozy enough and safe. After the store closed, I made my first venture out. I tiptoed as far as the stationery counter and got this paper, the writer's primary need. Now, after making my first entry, I'll go out and get food and wine and the pillows for my bed and perhaps even a fancy dressing gown. <laughs> this is perfect. Here, I'll be able to write. Dawn, October 14th. I am almost too unnerved to write this. The whole thing is unbelievable. After the store was dark and completely quiet, I crept out and started for the food department. One steps echo hollowly in an empty department store at night, and I found myself gliding along the floor on tiptoe, moving as silently as possible. But the sound of footsteps persisted, and suddenly I realized that they were not my own. The night watchman. I, I was in the Salon Moderne, so quickly I seized a mink coat from a hanger and draped it about my shoulders and stood stock still. I could have reached out and touched him, but he passed without so much as a glance. I started to smile, but the smile froze on my lips. There was someone else here. I was looking straight into a pair of eyes. Large, flat, luminous, inhuman eyes a dozen feet away. They belonged to a creature dressed as a man, but he was as pale as something found under a stone. His hands hanging motionless at his sides looked more like the fins on a fish than human hands. And then he spoke. Not bad for a beginner. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know anybody else uh, lived here. Oh, yes, we live here. It's delightful. Uh, 
We? Yes, all of us. Don't you see? Look around you. I looked around and saw nothing. I looked again and saw an old one come clamoring out from behind a clock. And there were three elderly ingenues, incredibly emaciated, pale as lace, almost transparent, simmering before a perfume counter. And a chintzy lady swam out from the curtains and the drapes. Then they came swarming thick around me, pale, thin, wispy, moving silently, fluttering like gauze in the wind, whispering. They were pressing around me, clawing, holding me, their pale faces contorted with venomous and human hatred. I was paralyzed. All I could do was repeat over and over again, I am not a detective. I, I, I'm not a detective. I, I'm not. A burglar, then. Hold him, carry him to the plane. Send the darkness. Stop. Let him speak. I, 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 I am not a detective or a burglar. I'm a poet. But what are you doing here? Uh, I've renounced the world. I, I came here to live where I could be alone, away from the world. Why, then he's come over to us. Mrs. Vanderpan, she's coming now. I followed their eyes toward the balcony and the hair on my neck rose again. There, coming down the wall, like an ancient spider, clamored an old lady, wrinkled and crackled and emaciated. She must have been at least 80, a shadowy matriarch. And the things around me bowed and scraped as she reached the floor and floated toward us. What's going on here? Where is that stupid girl? What's keeping her? Oh, Mrs. Vanderpan. Well, what is it? Who's this, Mr. Roscoe? Mrs. Vanderpan, may I present Mr... Uh, Mr... Huh? Oh, oh, Snell. Charles Snell. Yes, Mr. Snell. He's a poet. He has come here to live. Oh, he has, has he? That's what he says. And I believe him. Well... He avoided the night watchman quite neatly. For a beginner. <laughs> Thank you. Very well. We shall see. <laughs> a poet should find inspiration here. Mr. Snell, Mrs. Vanderpant is our grand old lady. Oh? I am quite the oldest inhabitant here, Mr. Snell. Three mergers and a complete rebuilding. But they didn't get rid of me. Oh, where is Ella? Where is my broth? She's bringing it, Mrs. Vanderpant. It will come. Terrible little creature. Oh, she's our foundling, Mr. Snell. Uh, she's not quite our sort. Oh, is that so? I have been here, Mr. Snell, ever since the terrible times of the 80s. I was a young girl then, a beauty, they said. I'm sure. And poor Papa lost his money. Braces meant a lot to a young girl in those days. So when I wasn't able to have a charge account, I came here to live. That's better than a charge account. I was quite alarmed when others began to come after the crash of 1907. Oh, but it was the dear judge, the uh, hello. colonel, Mrs. How do you Bilby. Do? How are you? Uh, Mrs. Bilby writes plays. Oh? And it uh, comes of an old Philadelphia family. You'll find us quite nice here, Mr. Snell. I, I, I'm sure I will. And, uh, of course, our dear young people came in 1929. 
Their poor papas jumped from skyscrapers. They couldn't bear to be without charge accounts either. But uh, you mean all these nice people live here? Oh, and many more. You shall meet them all later. Oh, here comes Ella with my broth. Uh, come here, you stupid thing. Mrs. Vanderpant is waiting, Ella. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I'm coming as fast as I can. Oh, here. On the table over there, Ella. Now be careful. Don't spill it. Oh, but she's young. Well, of course she is a little younger than most of us. She, She's different. She's... Beautiful. That's right, old fellow. She's really not our sort. Oh, you, you shouldn't say such things. She can hear you. Oh, that doesn't matter. Mrs. Bilby, please. Uh, Mr. Snell, you will understand these things better after you've been here for a while. But uh, it seems to me Mr. That... Snell, we have certain rules here. They are necessary for our survival. I'm sure you won't find it hard to observe them. Well, yes, but I... I... should advise you that you try. If you do not would be most unfortunate, Mr. Snell. Most unfortunate for you. October 15th. You can imagine my feelings last night. My first thought was to escape as quickly as possible. In fact, I planned to quit my hiding place and mingle with the crowds and leave Bracey's forever. Just at dawn, Mr. Roscoe brought me a cup of coffee, which must have been drugged, for I fell asleep. And when I awoke, I found that I'd slept all day, and night was closing over the store once more. Later. I have spent my second night here. I saw Ella again. Ella, the pearl of this remote, fantastic cave. She's not like the others, a, a trifle pale, but otherwise normal and human and, and beautiful. A child of perhaps 18. She is the only thing that makes this nightmare bearable. October 20th. Escape seems almost impossible. There is a very effective burglar alarm system and the doors are all carefully guarded. But that is nothing compared to the Dark Men. Who are the Dark Men? I don't know, but the inhabitants here threaten any transgressor with these Dark Men. I shall try to discover who they are. I am sure I'm watched, though they've begun to trust me now. Speaking to the Night Watchman would be suicide. Even if he believed my fantastic story or didn't shoot me as a burglar, I'm convinced that... Neither Ella nor I could get out of here alive. She and the Night Watchman are the only real people here. And how the others hate the Night Watchman. Odious, vulgar creature. He reeks of the coarse sun. Oh, come now, Mrs. Bilby. He's really a very personable young man. Very young for a Night Watchman. Mr. Snell, sometimes I wonder about your taste. Oh, you must not stay so much to yourself. You must become better acquainted with our ways. That's quite true, old man. Oh... You must come to the play tonight. We're going to be entertained with one of Mrs. Bilby's tragic comedies, Love in Shadowland. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, I'm sure I will. Oh, it's really a festive occasion, you know. Wanamaker's is coming over. Wanamaker's? Yes, the entire colony over at Wanamaker's is coming here en masse to attend the play. You mean there are people living in other stores? Oh, dear, yes. Didn't you know? 
Of course, the best people live in Bracey's and Wanamaker's. Oh, come now, Mrs. Bilby. There are some very nice people at Altman's. I beg your pardon, Mrs. Bilby. Uh, hello, Ella. Oh, good evening, Mr. Snell. Well, what is it, Ella? Oh, please, ma'am, I, I'd so love to see your play tonight. May I have your permission? Certainly not. You know better than that, you stupid creature. You know where you belong. In the basement, by the garbage cans. But, Mrs. Bilby... Hush, Mr. Snell. Ella... You're becoming entirely too forward of late. I advise you to watch your step. Remember the dark men. Oh, no. Please, Mr. Roscoe. I'll be good. I promise I will. Oh, no, please don't send for the dark man. I'm sorry, Mrs. Bilby. Excuse me. Ella. Ella, come back. Charles, you forget yourself. Let her go. But how can you treat her like that? Why do you always frighten her? And what is all this about the dark men? Well, Mr. Snell, oh, I... Oh, please, Mr. Roscoe, not now. You'll spoil our whole evening, and I do so want Mr. Snell to enjoy my play. Very well, Mrs. Bilby. Later, Charles. But I want to know about the dark men. Later, later. October 21st. I found an opportunity to speak to Ella alone. I had not dared to speak to her before... Here one has the sense always of pale eyes secretly watching. But last night at the play, I induced a fit of hiccups. As I anticipated, I was sternly reprimanded and told to go and secret myself in the basement where the night watchman wouldn't hear me. This was exactly what I'd planned. I went to the basement. And there, in the darkness, among the garbage cans and the rats, I heard sobbing. Ella? Ella? Ella, is that you? Yes. Why are you crying? What is it, Ella? They... They wouldn't even let me see the play. Oh, is that all? Oh, Mr. Snell, I, I'm so unhappy. Oh, there, there. You, you mustn't cry. You're the only one. The only one who is kind. Ella, why are you here? Why do they treat you so differently? Because I'm not like them. I didn't choose to come here. You mean you were held prisoner? Yes. You see, I was only six. I came here on a shopping tour with my mother. I, I got lost and fell asleep behind a counter. It was dark when I awoke, and they found me. Some of them wanted to send for the dark men because they were afraid I would tell on them. But Mrs. Vanderpant said no. I could stay and be her maid. I've been here ever since. Since you were six? But haven't you ever tried to get away? Oh, no. I don't know anything about out there. I wouldn't know what to do. Besides, I, I'm afraid to take the chance. If anyone tries to get out, they send for the dark men. Ellen, who are the dark men? Don't you know? Oh, it's horrible. Tell me. You know how people live in all the stores, at Gimbel's and Bloomingdale's? And... Yes, yes, I know. Well, the dark men live at the Undertaker's. Good heavens. And whenever someone dies or breaks the rules, or when a burglar gets in and sees these people and might tell, they send for the dark men. That's horrible. They put the body in the butcher shop and the food department, and then the dark men come. I saw them once... It was terrible. What do they do? They go in where the dead person is. They have wax with them and all sorts of things. 
And when they're gone, there's just a wax model left on the counter. Then our people put a frock on it or a bathing suit and mix it up with all the other wax models in the windows. And nobody ever knows. Ellie, you mean all these dummies are... Oh, no. At least, not all of them. But if you displease these people, the same thing might happen to you. October 30th. I've not kept up my journal. Writing has been out of the question. Once more, I'm frozen with terror. Not for myself now, but for Ella. They hate her. Any time they might turn against her and send her to the dark men. My mind is filled with her. I dream of her every day. I live to see her at night. We've managed it several times. They, they trust me now and let me roam about without interference. And finally tonight, I met her again and said it. Ella, I love you. Charles. I, I love you, Ella. Let, let's get married, or, or whatever they do here, and then we can live together in my home in the carpet department. They, they wouldn't dare hurt you then. Charles. Oh, don't look so dismayed. If you like, we'll go away from here. Maybe we can get transferred to Bergdorf Goodman, overlooking Central Park. Don't, Charles, don't. You must. Oh, but I love you. Ella, you're not in love with someone else. Oh, Charles. Yes, I am. But who? I... I thought you hated them all. Oh, it must be Roscoe. He's the only one that's young enough. Oh, no, Charles, not Roscoe, especially not him. Oh, I do hate them all. They make me shudder. Well, who is it, then? It's he. Who? The night watchman. No, it's impossible. Oh, I love him. He smells of the sun. Ella. Oh, it was wonderful, the way it happened. Don't tell on me, Charles, or they'll punish me. Oh, no, no. I was careless. And there he was, coming around the corner in the ladies' lingerie department. I was caught. There were only some wax models in there under things. There was nothing else to do. I slipped off my dress and stood still. <clears throat> I see. He stopped near me. He looked at me. Oh, Charles, he spoke to me. He said, say, honey, I wish they made them like you on 8th Avenue. Oh, Charles, wasn't that a lovely thing to say? Personally, I should have said Park Avenue. Oh, Charles, don't get like these people here. It doesn't matter what avenue, Charles. It was just a lovely thing to say. But what can you do about him, Ella? He belongs to another world. Yes, to 8th Avenue, and I want to go there. Charles, are you really my friend? Oh, yes, yes, of course I am. Then I'll tell you. I'm going to stand there again in the lingerie department so he'll see me. And then? Perhaps he'll speak to me again. Oh, Ella, you're only torturing yourself. Oh, no, because this time I shall answer him. And he'll take me away. Take you away? Oh, no, 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 Ella. I, I, I couldn't bear that. You, you don't love him. You, you only think you do because you think he'll take you out of here. But, but you don't know that he will. And I will, Ella. I, I've made up my mind. No, Charles. I couldn't let you do it. Even if I loved you, you couldn't do it, Charles. Why not? Because you really belong here. 
You've become one of them now. Ella. Ella, you mustn't say that. It's true. And... Charles. What? I've got to go. There's someone watching us. I, I feel... Wait, Ella. Goodbye, Charles. No, Ella. Come back. Ella. Please, old fellow, you'll arouse the night watchman. Roscoe. Yes? Love can be very upsetting, can't it? You heard? Just the last moment or so. Very touching. I was rather surprised. And yet it's understandable I've been attracted to Ella myself. We're still young, you know. <laughs> and so she loves another. Too bad, old fellow. Who could it be? Could it be that I am the cause of your heartbreak? You flatter yourself too much, Roscoe. Then who? The old judge? Certainly not. The colonel? Hardly. None of those. Not one of the customers. The staff? She loves the night watchman. Can you imagine that? She loves the night... Oh. Uh, Roscoe, I, I, I shouldn't have said that. It, it, it's not true. At least I don't think it's true. You, you wouldn't... You, you said you loved her too. You, you wouldn't do anything... Tell anybody. Uh, this is a secret between us, between friends, isn't it? Of course, old man. As secret as the grave. She's young. Perhaps he'll leave and she'll forget him. In time, who knows, perhaps she will learn to love you or me. Of course, in time. And we'll figure a way to keep her safe here. Absolutely safe. Now, don't you worry about it. Well, it's almost dawn. Time for bed. Good morning, Charles. <laughs> Early evening, November the 4th. I was a fool. I should have known he couldn't be trusted. He must have gone straight to Mrs. Vanderpant. This evening, the atmosphere has changed. People flicker to and fro, smiling nervously, horribly with a sort of frightened, sadistic exultation. An informal dance in the record department's been called off. And I can't find Ella. I'm going out again now to look for her. Roscoe, what have you done with her? Quiet, quiet, old chap, the night watchman. I don't care. What have you done with her? Whatever I did, I did for your own good as well as the good of us all. Wait a minute. What is that? What are those people carrying? Why, it's Ella. She's tied up. And they're carrying her. Ella! Ella! Stop it, Charles. Stop it. Charles, don't Save me. Charles! Let me go. Let me go! No, stop, Charles, stop it! You'll arouse the night watcher. But they're taking her into the butcher shop. Ella! 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 Yes, Charles. Those are the dark men. Midnight. I'm scribbling this last entry hurriedly. They are in there in the butcher shop with Ella. The dark men. There's only one thing to do. I'm going to find the night watchman and tell him. He and I will save her if we can. And if we're overpowered, well, I will leave this pad on the stationery counter. Tomorrow, if I live, I, I will recover it. If I do not, whoever finds this and reads it, look in the windows. Look for three new wax dummies. Two men, one rather sensitive looking, and a girl. She has blonde hair and blue eyes, 
And her nose turns up a little. Look for us. And then find them. Smoke them out. Exterminate them. Avengers. Find them. Smoke them out. Exterminate them. Avengers. Sam, isn't that horrible? We gotta do something. Tell somebody something. Oh, Sam, what'll we do? Do? Nothing. Go to bed. Oh, but Sam... Whoever wrote this has sure got a weird sense of humor, hey? Probably some clerk down at Bracey's ought to be fired. You... You mean you think it's just a story? Are you kidding? You don't believe this stuff, do you? Well, I... I don't know. I... I just thought... Yeah, forget it, baby. Snap out of it. I shouldn't leave you alone. You get too many ideas when I go bowling at night. Oh, Sam. Sam, don't you think maybe we ought to just take it back and show somebody? Nuts. It's not worth the bother. They'd laugh at you, baby. Think you were crazy or something. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess I was silly. Forget it. Come on, let's go to bed. I'm tired. Sure, Sam. Golly, you know, for a while I was sure scared. I even forgot what I was going to tell you. What? Sam, I found the cutest dress today, only $19.95. Yeah, baby? Yeah. It was in the window at Bracey's. It was on a beautiful little wax model with blonde hair, blue eyes, and a sort of turned-up nose. And, and there were two men standing... Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Tonight, we have brought you Evening Primrose by John Collier, adapted for radio by John Dunkel. Featured in tonight's story were Bill Conrad as Charles and Constance Cavendish as Ella. With Harry Bartell, Lillian Bayef, Jeff Corey, Kay Miller, and Irene Tedrow. Special music by Ivan Dittmar. Next week. When you've had all you can stand of routine... When your everyday chores offer you no release. When the four walls are closing in on you. Join us for Escape. Next week, we escape with another great story by one of the world's outstanding authors. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Escape with Evening Primrose, starring William Conrad from September 12, 1948. Also in the cast, Constance Cavendish, Jeff Corey, Harry Bartell, and Lillian Bioff, as heard over CBS. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 66 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 66 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two comedy episodes of Life with Luigi starring J. Carol Nash, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, 
visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening.